A happy new year to all of our friends out there. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank. His name is Alex. And today is January the 5th, 2022. What's up, man? Happy new year, Frank. Happy new year. How were your festivities? My festivities were quiet. The festivities around me were not quiet. <laughs> What'd you guys do? Just hang inside or what? Uh, well, I watched Michigan get their shit pushed in at my dad's. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I left in disgust around the fourth quarter <laughs> to go back home. Everybody, all my friends and loved ones were either sick or out of town or both. Mm-hmm. And so I was resigned to my apartment for New Year's Eve, which I don't have a problem with. Uh, however, I do live in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood and I'm not talking about Mexican American. I'm talking about Mexican Dirty Mexican. Jesus. And, okay. Uh, I say that with love. I was to say hi to all our Mexican viewers. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> so uh, it's customary to uh, all parts of the world to make a bunch of noise during New Year's, right? Of course. Fireworks yeah. or what have you. My neighbors decided to uh, shoot guns all night, mm. um, which was awesome. And it wasn't like your pew, pew, pew. It was like, like right outside my window. It was ridiculous. Yeah, man. It was jarring. Uh, It wasn't a ton of fun. Do these fine Mexican folks that you speak of go hard like this for Cinco de Mayo too? Or is it just like uh, they're going hard for New Year's Eve? (laughs) I haven't lived in this neighborhood during Cinco de Mayo, but uh, I will say for Christmas and New Year's, it was uh, a raucous time. And it's funny because I live steps. I mean, like not even a... 30 second walk from a police department, Hmm. a major San Diego police department. So it was kind of crazy that they had the balls to do it, but I was thinking about it, right? I'm sitting, uh, laying in my bed. It's like 1130. I'm done. I don't, I'm not watching the ball drop. I could care less about New Year's Eve at this point. And these shots are going off and it's really, really disturbing, like really loud, man, like fucking loud. Hmm. And I'm thinking, hmm, guns, drinking Mexicans, not going to go out and say anything. I want to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's exactly the thought process that the the, the, the fine men in blue were, were thinking, because uh, they could, I guarantee you, they heard the shots just as loud as I heard them. Um, but it, like it's all in good fun. Nobody got hurt. So far as I know, they're just out there having a great time, but it was, it was something, man. It's yeah. For sure. Something. I could imagine, man. How was I yours? imagine. Much quieter. We just kind of hung out at the house. I watched Michigan game until I couldn't watch it anymore. And like about like what you said, into the fourth quarter, and I was just like, man, this is. I'm a fan, but I can't. This just hurts. Um, just a complete rollover. And like with all the momentum we had, like Georgia just showed that they were for sure the better team. So now there's yep. talks of uh, Harbaugh going to the NFL, maybe to go coach the Bears, which would be, I don't know, eh. that would suck. I but doubt um. It. It was good, man. We hung out. The The New Year's shows, I know you said you didn't watch them. They were pathetic, man. They were awful. Like, the New York one was empty, dude. Like, I've never seen Times Square empty like that. So we resorted to watching the Pete Davis and Miley Cyrus Miami party, which is terrible. Mm. Like, not not a good broadcast at all. But it was better than watching Ryan Seacrest try to act like, this is awesome, New York! And just, yeah. I, I don't know. No, thank you. And then the people I was hanging, I mean, my sister and Sarah were asleep by like 12.05. Nice. And I just uh, kind of went to bed. So late, very, very lazy year. It's been a whole lazy holiday for me, uh, but that's I all I got right. a question for you. What were you sure. drinking on New Year's Eve? I was drinking bullet bourbon with uh, a one large ice cube and 
two god damn it i always forget what they're called the special cocktail cherries the black ones maraschino no god no those are not cocktail cherries frank those are what you get with a shirley temple you know like the black cherries uh when you get an old-fashioned they're not putting a maraschino cherry in there they're putting in luxardo cherries mm. so luxardo are like those dark yeah brown red really sweet cherries sweet yeah yeah not like the bright candy apple ones those are like the maraschinos but so yeah that's what i did i just did about a two three finger pour a bullet big ass ice cube and a couple cherries a reason I ask is I, I came across a uh, pretty interesting article about the fight between beer and liquor hmm. um, in the in the uh, American mainstream. And uh, beer forever had been the number one alcoholic beverage in America, like bar none. And then right around 2000, the beer sales... Um, started to, to decline pr pretty rapidly in, in between 2000 and 2010. And then it kind of tapered off uh, between 2010 and now. But in that same time, spirit sales had crept up to where they're mm -hmm. almost neck and neck right now. But the, the big thing, and, and, and I'm curious what you think about this, the big thing that they're crediting uh, alcohol or, or liquor sales to in the past two years has been the advent or the the relaxation of liquor laws where you can buy um alcohol and then take it out of a restaurant in a in a to-go cup and the advent of cocktails in a can well i think also seltzers especially in the last like five years cut into that beer sales world big time man but would it, i think in this instance i would consider seltzer beer okay do you think that's what they're doing for the study you're talking about i think well? so i think okay. so because it's not liquor it's certainly not liquor it's malt it's a malt beverage which is considered beer sure right, right. yeah yeah um but it's just made with 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 different ingredients that make it less so and i think the the if you reduce it all down to one thing i think it is the waistline conscious american that yeah. is choosing these different beverages because we know now that and we've known for a while but we know now that we we're when you drink beer, it's liquid bread and mm -hmm. it's uh, not good in, in any respect for dieting. Alcohol in general, not good. Yeah, alcohol in general. But like, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I made the switch years ago, kind of one, because I think I felt like super bloated and, and may even be like allergic to yeast or some hops, some form of something in beer, because it always kind of makes me feel weird. Yeah. Also could be I'm a pussy. I, I'm not really sure. But um, I, I stopped drinking beer like predominantly a long time ago as well. And like switch to, to spirits, like uh, my buddy, our buddy Pat Davison, he he does was doing vodka and waters and bringing like the little mio or like crystal light, like squeezable. You know how you like flavor oh, waters, bro. Delicious. Dude, that's genius. Yeah, yeah that's a great fantastic. idea. And then I was a Hennessy drinker for a long time, and and once I decided to step up in the world, um, and go for something not so hard, like that's when I found bourbon scotches. You introduced me to like McCollin Scotch like ten years ago now, and. Uh, haven't looked back, man. You ever thought about going sober? Um, I mean, I thought about it. See, like drinking for me is not a thing like that. Like I'll, I'll drink a drink of bourbon, you know, maybe once a week, just like a little taster. If I'm hanging yeah. out, we're doing a, a late podcast or I'm playing video games. But like drinking for me is not anything that I would ever be like, I need to take a break from it. Smoking for sure. I'm uh, proud to say I'm a, a stoner. I smoke every day. Like I, I use it for like, I feel like my mental health and, and like uh, really 
stress relief and like body relief from all like the working out and tennis I do. So I think that would be way harder for me. Like I, I have friends that have done it and have told me about like the benefits it's had for them to like to stop smoking and mm-hmm. how much clearer they thought they started dreaming again. Like I, dude, I can't remember the last time I dreamed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think I pull too many other positives or at least tell myself that I do have myself convinced that I do in other things with like stress relief recovery that it'd be really hard for me to not smoke weed. I could stop drinking alcohol. No problem today. Cold Turkey. Right. Right. Yeah. What about you? I, don't know. I saw, I, well, I saw something about, uh, a, a shift in particularly the millennials with like a sober January and the article was talking mm. about how people tried it last year. And then the stress of January 6th and, uh, inauguration and all this was a, uh, whatever. <laughs> you're, you're weak if that's what's causing you to drink, but for real. But it was saying, like, I had to say they're going to try it again this year and see, you know, sober January. I don't know where I read this. Probably Twitter. So, you know, probably holds no weight. But I was just thinking about it because, I don't know, anything that you consume on a daily will will, will rewire your being, right? Like, it, it becomes a part of you. So, it, it, I feel like it's hard to determine the benefits of not being inebriated on a constant basis if you don't know or you can't remember internally what it means to be sober all the time so for that reason i would think that the benefit of of being sober would be great to to kind of experience it and get that get that uh have that mindset where you're like free of substances and just to see what it does because that fuck for me 10 years plus it's been since like you know I haven't been regularly consuming some sort of inebriant. Yeah. I don't know that it's a problem, but I, but that's the thing. I don't know it's a problem. If you would were to do that, if these people are doing it, and I know like Joe Rogan and Segura and those dudes made Sober October a thing. It kind of yeah. seems like it's tuckered off, but like that could, that honestly could be a big push in like why a lot of these people are doing it. But do you think to really do that, like caffeine would have to be part of that oh, yeah. to be no, sober? Dude, that'd be the hardest one for me, honestly. That's probably harder than the weed. Well, okay. So, and and that's the thing that, that gets me with like coffee, because I I feel like, and it's, you know, in some respects with marijuana too, there's like a, a romanticism with it that I feel like is associated stronger to the perceived benefits than the actual benefits of consuming that particular thing, right? Like where it's coffee, I don't think coffee is a beneficial thing to my morning. I don't think it does anything great to me. It's just something I've reached for, for, I don't know, eight, nine years now, right? right? Just coffee. Because at one point I used to get a jolt from caffeine and I kept going back to it and I enjoy it. I like the taste and it doesn't negatively benefit or or, or affect me. So I I just, I gravitate toward it. I, I don't know that there's like a significant benefit. Plus it culturally, I mean, we all drink coffee every one of us. Like, I feel like the most widely consumed substance is caffeine. And for many of us, it's an addiction. And uh, whether or not that's good or whether or not it affects you negatively, it's still an addiction, right? You still go towards the coffee, still go towards the caffeine. So Mm -hmm. yeah, hundred percent, you would have to include that. And and also with like, with like smoking weed, do I think it does anything great for me? No. Do I think it negatively affects me sometimes for sure? You don't think it does anything positive for you at all? No, 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 like nerves calming or just relaxation. The complete or, opposite. Really? Oh, but like yeah. you've told me before when you run, you like to like smoke a little bit before or take it's an nice edible for before. That. It's nice for that. So that's a positive effect. 
I suppose. Yeah, I suppose uh, for sure. And I, and I think I think the the the, the edible works a, a little bit better for obvious health reasons. You don't want to be filling sure. your lungs with smoke and then going for an eight mile run. The reason yeah. I like it is because it allows me to zone more. It allows me to zone more easy, so I can stop thinking about the actual run. But but yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's any any super big benefits. I, I think it's the what I have in my head, the romanticism of it. Right. The, the, just like the, the feeling of a cup of coffee in the morning, you're just like, Ooh, that's cozy and warm and nice. And so I'm then like, at that point, it's almost like a mental addiction more so. Yeah. And I know they say that with weed too, yeah. like you can't get physically addicted, but it's a mental addiction. It is. Yeah. But what's the difference? I think the difference is that like you could quit it without going through like actual okay. withdrawals. But I think if you quit caffeine, my body probably would go through withdrawals in a way. I, th I feel like you can be not with weed i could quit weed and i don't think i'd go through any kind of body withdrawals caffeine i think is more similar to tobacco in that you would feel yeah you would feel like the effects of less of it in your system if, if you've come accustomed to going to it every morning right like smoking a cigarette or a couple a pack or whatever a day like your body gets accustomed to that accelerant or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. It's just cool to be mindful of the things that you're addicted to. Because I think we're addicted to more. I mean, we're all addicted to something. We're all addicted to something. Um, and, and I think it's easy to think that you're like, oh, I'm not addicted. But like me, for sure. Sugar. Oh, that'd be enough. Yeah. Addicted, right. bro. Addicted. Because I don't think we realize how much sugar we consume. But if you consciously cut out sugar, I think you'd be shocked one, how much sugar you actually consume, and two, how numb you are. Yeah. If you, if you were to go away from sugar for a month, the same with like coffee or any other substance, and then you were to try it again, like eating a carrot would probably taste like a Snickers bar, yeah. and having a cup of coffee would probably feel like you're on an Adderall. You know, like it's mm -hmm. just that that complete dopamine numbness to the stuff that we consume every day. Um, I don't know, it was just a, a, a cool little thought experiment, whether or yeah. not I execute on any of it is to be seen i'm drinking a cup of coffee right now and i have had candy this morning so <laughs> <laughs> i'll say do you have like a new year's resolution for 2022 i don't do resolutions man i don't i don't buy into all that i, I think it's cool yeah. to like you know oh new year let's kind of hit the refresh button and you had some time off work and I, I love i love that and i think there's a lot of benefit to that but um i think resolutions can be very harmful to a psyche because you're taking on a huge goal, right? Let's say your goal is to stop smoking, right? Well, you've just set in front of yourself a, if you're like a smoker for, you know, years and years, then what you've done is you've set in front of yourself a goal with real no motivation to complete other than this resolution, right? <laughs> it's a new calendar year, baby. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and to that point, you're saying, I'm going to stop this and it's going to be forever. So what you've done is you set in front of yourself a monumental task. What other, what other thing do you attack every day that you think you're going to do forever, right? So mm -hmm. it's super tough. I think a much healthier um, way to go about this kind of stuff is like, all right, we're in January. It's a new year starting you know, whenever and start whenever, literally start whenever. That's the other thing. Starting on a particular date, that, that kind of stuff is never, never works. But let's say you want to start today, January 5th. And you say today, January 5th, I am not going to smoke. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, but today I am not going to smoke. And to take it, to take it bite by bite by bite and not set in front of yourself, this giant goal. Cause then you'll get suffocated under the pressure of what that is and then you'll feel really shitty about yourself when you begin to do that thing again because inevitably you will and it just becomes this thing and then you 
by January 15th, you're the same person you were December 31st. <laughs> so I, I, I love, I mean, I love the idea of resolutions. I just think that it's like a pie in the sky thing. If you're really going to try and make a difference in your life, it has to be every day. Cause so like, let's say on December or January 6th, you smoke. Well, that's just January 6th, January 7th. You can make the decision to not smoke mm-hmm. and your, your goal isn't completely tarnished or completely ruined he just took a tiny step back yeah and i think that that allows us to give ourselves some breathing room to not be so goddamn hard on ourselves is that like oh i'm not gonna smoke and then for 12 months i had this weighted pressure like oh fuck it's only january 5th i still have another 12 months and 11 months and 30 25 days and you know it just becomes like this big giant thing in our head. Yeah, I, I use it more at least the past few years as I've got more and more into fitness, just as like a way to refocus after the holidays. So it's not like I like for this year. I'm like, okay, I'm trying to get to 215 in this calendar year. I'm gonna, yeah. you know, obviously I'm exercising like I always do, playing tennis, working out. Right now I need to just tighten up on the diet. So it's like, and it's not like I'm not eating sweets or anything like that. It's just like, okay, I'm trying to like be more focused going into the new year got done with new year's eve and and christmas and eating like shit for like the last month or whatever and and now it's just like okay start a new year let's Mm -hmm. just kind of refocus a little bit so to me i I definitely see what you're saying for sure because it's not december you know january 6th you smoke what the next 11 months you're ruined now because you didn't fulfill your prophecy of not smoking like right all right and then think about it like let's say you're in March, right? You're so far removed from the new year that it doesn't really mean anything to you that you're in the year 2022, but you could still think of March 2nd. Today I'm not going to smoke. Today's March, I'm not going to smoke on March 2nd. And you take it that day by day. I mean, I, I think that's really good for addictions or anything that you're you're trying to change because at the end of the day, we're just we're just creatures of habits. And the psychology of a habit is that you you get a trigger, right? Whatever it is that triggers you to smoke, that goes on in your mind. And usually that's a subconscious thing. Then that makes you feel something in your gut. Mm-hmm. And, and then that gut feeling then causes you to light up because you know that the response to that gut feeling of smoking gives you some sort of reward. And that's hardwired, man. That's just something you do all of the time. And we do it all the time. And we're not conscious of it. If you get that gut feeling and then conscious of how you reward yourself, you could take that smoking and you could make it anything. Let's say you get that gut feeling and you do 10 pushups or you go and you remove yourself from everything you're doing and you just breathe for 30 or whatever it is. A resolution is another way of saying I'm creating a new habit. But in order to create a new habit, you have to rewire the one that you already have. You don't cut out a habit. You just replace it. That's the science of habits is that you need to replace it with an actionable thing that gives you the same reward as did smoking or as did drinking or anything else. That's tough work, dude. It's really hard work to change yourself. Not, nah, man, but I mean, sometimes it's needed. I know people, they say people don't change. And like, I, I think like on the whole, that's probably pretty accurate, but people can change. It's just, it's a bitch. It's, it's something that it takes, like you're saying, every day you got to stay right. focused and you got to be able to fuck up and come back to it and keep right. being focused and not let, you know, a couple bad days or whatever, like set you off track. Cause then it's a slippery slope. And like you said, you're right back where you started. Yeah, for sure. And then like your, your motivation it, it, it plays a giant role into 
how well you facilitate change. Right. If your motivation is just that you want to be a better person in the year 2022, like that's going to taper off really quickly. But if you, let's say you just started a new family and you're like, shit, I have a kid now. I'm responsible for another person and I'm smoking cigarettes knowing that it's killing me inside every time that I light one up. Well, every now, now that's your, that's your reward. Every time that you choose not to smoke, you know that you're doing something beneficial for your new family. Yeah. And that might be the dopamine hit that you need. Um, but yeah, dude, it's, it's tough. And for anybody out there going through a resolution or something that you want to change, I mean, you know, stick with it, but be realistic with yourself and don't, don't beat yourself up. I think we do that a lot, um, a lot more than we should. Absolutely. Uh, real quick here, Frank, uh, I'm going to get to an ad read here for our sponsors. I want to try to push these more to the front of the episodes. And I got some mind-blowing, <laughs> mind-bottling stats for you. Okay. Uh, but first, drinking a good smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But when you can help American heroes, it is that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every single item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our great country. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean ground or single-serve pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10, and you'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. That's promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. Um, all right, so I was reading right right on like, uh, kind of right after we recorded our last episode, I kind of hopped online and, and was scrolling the, the old timeline, and I came across, I, it, it happened to be Tiger Woods' birthday. On December 30th, I came across a post that just like listed just some insane stats of his. And, and I just wanted to read through a couple of them and just kind of share it with you. I, I thought it was wild. Um, in the last 60 years, there are three instances of a player winning five or more PGA Tour starts in a row. Can you guess who those three people are? Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, and Tiger Woods. That's correct. Tiger Woods <laughs> had done it. He did seven in a row, then he did six in a row, and then he did five in a row. Insane. From 2004 to 2006, Tiger had 1,466 putts from three feet and in. He missed three of them. Mm. Wild. Tiger is the only player currently under the age of 50 with 25 or more PJ Tour wins. He won the 25th of those wins in 2001 at Bay Hill, and he has gone on to win 57 more since then. So he has a he 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 holds a record that no one else has held and has done it two other times after that. <laughs> Plus, wow, uh, he is credited with forty one career European Tour wins, which is the third most of all time, and he has never played on that tour full time at all during his entire <laughs> professional career. Okay, and here's another one: win percentage by outright fifty hole lead on the PJ Tour. So this is guys that after Saturday were holding the outright lead, no ties or anything like that. Uh, this past year in 2021, when a tour golfer was holding that advantage, they won 26.7% of the time. Over the last decade, the golfer holding that uh, position won 42.4% of the time. When Tiger Woods holds that position, he wins 95.7% of the time throughout his entire career. Uh, it goes on. In a stretch from 1999 Dutch Bank through the 2001 Memorial Tournament, Tiger in official worldwide events had 46 starts, 23 wins, and a combined margin of victory of 79 shots, five major wins and eight starts, and he had four of those in a row. Uh, a couple more. There are three instances in PGA Tour history of a player winning eight or more times at the same courses. Can you guess who those three players are? Ben Hogan, Tiger Woods, and Arnold Palmer. 
The answer is Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. <laughs> Tiger won eight times at Bay Hill. He's done the same at Firestone and at your beloved Torrey Pines. Mm-hmm. Just wild, dude. And then this is the last one. Uh, best score to par in majors from 1997 to 2009. This is a minimum 70 rounds like playing in, in major tournaments. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods in that time period went 134 under par. The next closest golfer to him over that time period is Phil Mickelson with a plus 99 and Ernie Els with a plus 118. Wow. So from the time period of 97 to 2009, Phil Mickelson is the only player within 250 strokes of Tiger in major tournaments. I think it is impossible to appreciate these stats if you're not a golfer. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I was playing uh, in a tournament on Sunday and on the front nine of this tournament, I shot a three over 39. Nice. I had no pressure going into the back nine. And I shot a 49 on the back nine. Oof. Golf is the hardest sport. I'm, there is no harder sport. And, and I think anybody who's played any other sport can attest to like the difficulty of golf. Golf is the only sport that you have to play backwards. You have to know where you want your, if you're playing a par four, you got to want to know where your third par- shot ends up, which dictates where your uh, second shot is going to be played, just dictates your tee shot. You have to know all of that. You have to hit it, execute it correctly. And it's a game of misses. So more often than not, you're going to miss your target and then you have to recover from that. Um, it's all mental. The pressure of the game is because you either hold a lead or you're chasing a lead and you have to be more or less perfect. And you know that imperfection is the name of the game. I don't know, man. It's the most mind boggling thing to read these stats, to see what he has done and, and to, to understand that there is no greater winner in the history of sports than Tiger Woods. Yeah. To win one tournament on the PGA Tour is the most insane, mind-boggling achievement that a golfer could achieve because you have to play four flawless rounds of golf. Against the best golfers in the world. Everybody else is chasing (laughs) you when you do that. And they don't make mistakes. And he's he's won that hardest event 82 times in his professional career. 82 times. It's insane, dude. It's absolutely insane. Um, My other question is golf a sport or a game? It's a difference. I don't know. Some people argue that golf is not the, is the greatest game, but it's not a sport per se. Um, I looked it up. It's, it just basically says that a sport is something that takes athletic prowess, usually played with a team, but that's obviously not always the case. So I I don't know. Like I, like you want to call chess a sport, but it takes you know mental determination to do so. I, I would say it's disingenuous to say that you need no athleticism to play. 100% agree. Yeah. Even if you look at some of the more unathletic looking golfers, like John Daly or you know Phil Mickelson's been been you know poked fun at it because of his weight his entire career. These guys are athletes. Like it's not. Yeah, I get it. it. It would be the same thing as like. It, it, would you call Bartolo Colon an athlete? Well, I did, and that's what I was just going to say. I think it takes more athleticism to play golf than it does baseball. And I I knew I'd probably piss you off by saying that, but... I mean, I guess it depends. If, like, you're a pitcher, then maybe. But even then, man, like, look, dude, golf, the, the demand on your brain is also physical. Mm-hmm. It's also something that affects your entire body. And in order to... Like, like, especially a professional athlete, dude, if you're not like 280 off the tee, minimum in the PGA Tour, you're going to have a tough time. Do you know how hard it is to, to, to hit a ball that far consistently for straight. four rounds yeah. straight 
and then if you're playing a par five that you have to hit a you're going to have to hit a shot that that goes somewhere between the range of 220 to 260 yards if you want to hit the green into that takes strength dude that's not something that is just like you can have a nice smooth easy swing and and make that happen if you're playing at the highest level you need strength that's just bottom line uh, and and look at the look at all the top tier golfers right now those dudes are athletes. Those dudes yeah. look like athletes. Now they can't put on pads and go play football, or they they probably you know would 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 stink it up on a baseball diamond. But they're athletes all the same. Right? But also, just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you'd be a good golfer either, though. Like it's an athlete in its I own regard. Know. You know, like there are obviously Steph Curry's great, Aaron Rodgers. Like there are athletes that can play golf very well. But I, I think it takes a certain kind of athlete with mental and physical attributes. Yeah. No. Hundred percent, man. It's. Uh, yeah, it's it's a sport. Uh, I guess it's also a game. I, I mean, it's uh, I don't know. It's the most beautiful thing ever created, if you ask me. Yes, it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, but yeah, that's all I had. I just I had to tell you those stats because I read through those and I was just that last one with Phil being the only person within 250 strokes of Tiger in majors is just yeah ridiculous. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> Best winner ever. Best winner ever. I mean, you, I, I couldn't even, I don't know. It's tough to say, right? Like you could put the best, the best winners of all the sports and put them together. But who's the best, right? Well, golf's an individual sport. So if, if basketball was an individual sport, could Michael Jackson or excuse me, Michael Jordan, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson would not be up no, there. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. That's a whole different kind of ball sport that he was playing. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, you know like could, could, could he boast the same achievements if it was something that he did individually no and i think that's why we look at him so great because the individual achievement of a michael jordan or a kobe bryant or lebron james is exemplified by the fact that they are on a team and their efforts lift the group uh, versus just themselves. So I think it's difficult to say, right? Because you're going to get more championships if you're a Roger Federer um, or a Novak Djokovic because you're playing in a sport that is just you versus either the course in golf or one other person in tennis. And so um, if it's a one-on-one -on -one thing or an individual thing, um, you're going to have the opportunity to be in a position to win a championship more because you're, the variables are dependent on one person and that's you. But given the difficulty of golf and how hard it is and how just how much better Tiger Woods is than any uh, anybody else that's ever played the game, I don't know, man. I couldn't I couldn't see anybody else coming and saying like yeah there's a there's been a better athlete in the last twenty years. Yeah, I, I just pull up a list here of individual athletes and. The only one that kind of jumps out to me, man, as a potential would maybe be Serena, Serena uh, or Phelps. But like Phelps's run was not as long, obviously, because you only can compete like every four years. Yeah. So that, that makes it a little harder. But he was like completely dominant. He has 23 gold medals. Serena has crushed it, man. But like still, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can say that there's anyone that's even really that close to him. And what's to be said about how somebody transcends their sport, right? Like Serena Williams and the and the Williams sisters do a great job of that. Um, you know, LeBron James does a tremendous job of that, right? Like he's bigger than the game of basketball and basketball is bigger because of LeBron James. Golf is synonym synonymous with one person, man. Yeah. Golfers and non-golfers alike. There's other famous golfers. There's one Tiger Woods. And maybe that status or that 
image wanes over time, right? Like we're not here talking about Arnold Palmer or Jack uh, Nicholas. You know, we're not talking about these other great golfers, Ben Hogan, who who have done ridiculous things on a golf course because that's past our time. The only thing I'd say is that Tiger has ha- had when he was like truly dominant, like through the 2000s, basically, he had way more opportunities to like win and take advantage of his like how dominating he was than like a Serena Williams where like you have five major tournaments every year and like usually she would go out and win most of them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a, Tiger has over the course of a golf, I mean, obviously there's what, five golf majors, but then like four. when you look at, or four, but then when you look at like 82 tour wins, like mm-hmm. I think only 20 of those or 21 of those are majors. So he, you know, he, he, and during the course of a golf season, you have every weekend, you could be, if you wanted to be in a PGA tour event. Except for the fact that nobody else did it except him. Of course. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just wondering if like, if, if in tennis, you know, for instance, if you have like Roger Federer or Serena Williams or now even Novak Djokovic, like with the opportunity to win Mm -hmm. 20 times every year, instead of just the five that they have, right? you know, but, or could they not do it through a whole year? Cause tennis is a more physically demanding game on your body, at least maybe, you know, mentally, I think they're similar. I think tennis isn't quite as hard as golf mentally, but it's definitely more physically demanding. No question. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think mentally the variables are significantly less in tennis, right? You have one court, it's the same court, except for the the surface is either clay, hard top or, or grass, right? Which obviously it's going to affect the way the ball goes, but, or, or the way it plays, but sure. the course is the same dimensions. You, the rules are still the same. Everything's the same. Whereas golf, the variables are infinite, um, which I think is why it makes the achievement of Tiger Woods so much more impressive because nothing is the same in golf ever, ever. Things are similar, but it just takes one roll of the ball to get into a divot mark where your life is shit or you're having to, to, you know, you have a bad break, you hit a sprinkler head or you, you get a great chip and you, you hit the pole and it, and the, the flag and it knocks your, your ball 12 feet off the green. And now you're, you know, you have that for par or whatever, you know, like the, it, there's so many things that can go in a different direction in golf, which I, that's why I think that the achievement in golf is so ridiculously special because it's, yeah. it's just not, it's not something that I think you could, you could play your whole life and you'll never, ever, ever master it. Yeah, no, I totally, and I totally agree. Um, the only, and I, I'm just going to defend tennis here just a little bit because what makes golf so hard, like you're saying, every single shot is different. And I, I that carries over to tennis too. Um, and I think at times could be even harder because you're playing against someone one-on-one. It's like in golf, mm-hmm. you're kind of playing yourself. Like obviously you're playing against other people who are shooting the best that they can do, but like the game is yourself. It, can you mentally hang in there and keep hitting good shots? Whereas with tennis, like you have someone that's like actively trying to, like you're saying, put that golf ball on the water hot spout or put it to a place where you can't, where it's going to fuck you up. Every yeah, shot is right. different and you're running to get to these shots and then hit that ball and place it within a very small area you know, to keep that point continuing to go until the next shot is returned to you at a hundred mm-hmm. miles an hour. And mm-hmm. with golf, like I think you have a tad bit more margin for error because you're on a way bigger open course right. where you can recover on your next shot. Whereas if you hit it out in tennis, like you lose that point or whatever. So I do think golf is the harder mental game, but I think the super physical aspect of tennis and the fact that you're playing someone that's like actively trying to fuck you up adds a, a, a degree where I think it should get a little bit more respect. Yeah, man. I hear you. Um, <laughs> I hear you. 
What about news? Well, we talked last time a little bit about um, the engagement with COVID news, how it completely has like fallen off a cliff. Yeah. Um, well, there's an, a, a story out in Axios where news engagement in general has fallen off a cliff. Between 2020 and 2021, social media interactions with news articles have fallen off 65%. Cable news primetime viewers have fallen off 36%. News media app downloads have declined 33%. And unique visits to top five news sites, that means new viewers who've never used these news sites before is down 8%. And I think all of that is proven. There was a a, a graphic that was out. I think Joe Rogan put it out himself on his Instagram that showed the viewers that he has, the downloads that he has versus the top cable news show, which is Tucker Carlson tonight. And I think he's something like 8 million more. And I think that's a conservative estimate. 8 million more downloads on one episode than viewers per night that Tucker Carlson gets, which is significant because Tucker Carlson gets more or less the same viewers every night. So does Rachel Maddow. So does uh, whatever, whoever the fuck's on CNN. Anderson, baby. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so, I don't know, man. I, I, I just, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that we're actually consuming um, the truth, you know, or we're, we're seeking out alternative views to strengthen our resolve so that when we hear some bullshit coming from CNN or ABC or whatever, that we're looking into it, you know, that we're not, we're not rolling over and taking things at face value anymore. And that we're a a little bit more open to the idea that the things that we consume on a mainstream service may not be exactly what the truth is, but it may be something that we are kind of fed, you know? I'd say like people are starting to not just like buy into the machine and just like live with it, but like question the machine and like you're saying, like seek other other outfits. Like, you know, like they don't necessarily just want to hear that same messaging that they're seeing on CNN or on Fox every single day. Like they want to kind of try to see what the truth of the world and what the fuck's really going on. I agree uh, 100%. And that, that graphic about, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, uh, downloads versus, you know, mainstream media, uh, interactions. I, I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's so jarring and obviously for obvious reasons, you're not going to see that on, on, on mainstream outlets because it's not in their interest to say, yeah, like we're doing bad. You know, I, I thought that that was pretty interesting. I wonder if it like what if we're heading towards kind of how within the last like 10, 15 years you've seen there was cable TV and now mm-hmm. damn near every single fucking channel has their own app. And then you have apps like Hulu and YouTube and doing YouTube TV and stuff like that. We're like it's we're basically back to cable, but it's like a new cable. Right. Um, it's like I almost wonder if that's going to like in, in its own way happen to like the news world where like you're not going to have these news stations or necessarily or, or you know or as on as big of a platform pushing their message their propaganda whatever you want to call it and you'll have more people like a joe rogan you'll have people maybe like tucker carlson or whatever that say fuck fox i'm gonna go do my own thing and have my own personal platform and it, you know if people fuck with me and believe me as a person who they could get their news from i'm gonna i'm gonna do that because that's more beneficial to me and you know i can push my narrative instead of what fox news or you know, CNN's telling Anderson, Anderson Cooper, uh, we just saw Brian Williams leave NBC kind of for, as he mentioned, kind of like similar reasons. Like he, it's more and more becoming not what he signed up for and, and 
being politicized. So I, I think that that's a very real possibility. Joe Rogan has made the world explode with podcasts. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent. And you know, he's had these, um, he's, he's had these guests on particularly recently that have caused a ton of controversy, which is good, right? Like controversy is good. I think we'd like think of like controversy, like people talking shit about one thing or another that it's bad, but I, I disagree. I think it's, I think it's the way that we grow and the way that we, we, we progress forward. And, um, it's unfortunate, I think that that's the place that, that it's going on. I I would stop short of saying that's the place that has to be going on, but it is the place that it is going on, right? The, Mm -hmm. the, the, these podcasts are where, um, free discourse is happening and, he had this uh, this guy on recently, and and you're gonna have to forgive me because I forget the doctor's name. Uh, but this doctor went on his show and started talking about his uh, qualifications, and they were um, the qualifications his doctor had was basically he filed some of the first patents ever for mRNA vaccines. So in in other words, he helped invent vaccines that we are using today to fight COVID. And he went on and was like, look, based on what I've seen, there have been some really, really fishy stuff going on with our government, with the people that are rolling out these vaccines. Um, You know, they're effectively breaking the uh, Nuremberg laws when it comes to uh, forcing medicine on people. Um, And it's all it's all kind of in a totalitarian authoritarian way. I get that that we're in emergency, but that I don't know that the emergency justifies how we're forcing things like vaccines on people. There was a, uh, a pushback on it, as you might imagine, um, saying that what Joe Rogan's doing, the guest that he's having on is bad for everybody because it's causing vaccine hesitancy. And, and, and I want to repeat that again, just because the more you hear it, the more obscene it, it begins to sound. It's bad that Joe Rogan is talking to these people because people that he is talking to and the message that they're, they're bringing out to us is causing vaccine hesitancy. That statement alone assumes that we shouldn't be hesitant about vaccines, right? And we know that that is what the message is because anything that is going on, particularly the guy that was on this, this podcast most recently, the day before he was talking to Joe, he was banned from Twitter for misinformation. And when you dampen discourse, when you don't allow for discourse, then what do we have? We have one message. And I, I've never understood why it, was, it wasn't apparent to people like the leaders of, of this country that if you want people to do something in unison, the worst way to go about it is to mandate it, right? I had this argument with my girlfriend. I probably don't know if I should be sharing this or not, but I'm going to. She continually tells me, because it's important to her, that me getting to know her family is important. I know this. Her getting to know my family is important. But she vocalizes it all the time. The more she tells me, the more I resent doing it. Am I immature? Maybe. Is it human nature? I think that's probably more likely the case. The more that you tell people that they have to do something, the less likely they are going to do it. That is just, I, I, to me, that's just common sense. When you mandate something like a vaccine, then you're going to get pushback. And if you then remove any discourse to the contrary, you're going to get 
pushback. And then if somebody comes on Joe Rogan and says, hey, hold on, everything that we've been saying that you guys have been told, I'm going to stop short of saying it's a lie. And I'm going to stop short of saying that it's a conspiracy by big pharmaceutical companies to make a bunch of money. But none of this is clear. The scientific process is all but completely dead. We're going through the largest mass scale human medical experiment that we've ever undertaken. And we're telling people that their kids have to be a part of this. So, I mean, like to to me, it's just like, like, of course there's going to be pushback. Of course there's going to be people saying no, of course there's going to be people seeking out other messaging than whatever the fuck Tucker Carlson wants to say uh, tonight or whatever's going on on, 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 on CNN or MSNBC. I think finally we're starting to wake up to the fact that there is a concerted effort by the people who control the majority of the media in this country to push a narrative. I mean, what do I say all the time in the show? They don't care about you. They don't care about you. They do not give a fuck about you. If they're telling you that your kids have to get a vaccine, if they're closing schools in Chicago, yeah. in Chicago, they're closing schools. What other resources do children have in Chicago other than going to school? Third biggest public school system in the whole country Closed. is going Why? full remote. How many kids have died from COVID? Not many, man. This what is kind actually of threat is teachers. It this is the te- they're doing it in Chicago because the teachers unions going to go on strike basically if they keep having them go in person citing COVID and Omicron as, and and like citing that they don't feel safe at work. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. The city's pushing back. They're fighting them. Like, no, we don't want to do this. This is bad. We should not do this. But like they've done it in Detroit. I think it did in Maryland, like a couple places. And, and basically if they don't have teachers, what can CPS do? But it's, it's crazy. I want to read you something from a, uh, from a, a New Yorker as a born and raised New Yorker. I've never even considered living anywhere else. Raising my kids here was the best gift and privilege I could give them. But last night, as I tucked my son into bed just after the ball dropped, I was overwhelmed by sadness and guilt. Sadness for the years of childhood my son had lost and for my two-year-old who's never known normal. Sadness for what it's become of the greatest city in the world. Sadness for my fellow New Yorkers who used to smell bullshit from a mile away and who'd do anything to defend our city. Guilt for allowing my city to become a toxic environment for children, for not fighting pointless, harmful, unscientific policies, for knowing we are the extreme, the fanatics, the exception, not the norm, but not moving almost anywhere else to give my kids a better life. New York has always been a kind of bubble, a city like no other, and New Yorkers are a unique breed. Savvy, fierce, quote unquote, real, wise to the way of the world, a way always one step ahead thinking we're just a little bit cooler and maybe even a little bit smarter than everywhere else. Maybe that's why now we refuse to look beyond our bubble, a bubble stubbornly insisting our way is the right way, the only way. Because we're New Yorkers and we know what's best. But there's nothing sophisticated or clever or smart, nothing New York about our policies. We've lost our way, unable to adapt, analyze, adjust, stuck in a superficial loop of science-free safety theater and virtue signaling, oblivious to the rest of the world, lacking all the creative forward-thinking nuance and realness that once set our city and our people apart. We aimlessly stroll from mandate to mandate, accepting each and every decree without so much of a hint of the healthy skepticism that was once a sign of a thoughtful, well-informed public, and once a part of what it meant to be a true, gritty, don't-mess-with-me New Yorker. We once stood by our windows every night, 
one city united to cheer and applaud the essential workers working tirelessly to care for our neighbors, our families, and our friends. Now we celebrate and welcome division, seeking more ways to pull us apart than bring us together. We once claimed to be a tolerant, progressive, enlightened city, but now we turn a blind eye to the devastating impact of our policies on some of our most vulnerable com communities, including our children. New York was my home, but now it's unrecognizable, a shadow of its former self. This is not the kind of place I want to raise my kids or the kind of place I want to live. In the words of David Byrne, my city is now just a house, not a home. Maybe it's time to find a new one. I've never lived in New York, but I know what she's talking about. I think 20 years ago, if you were to go to New York and say it's mandated that you wear a mask, they would tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> and now, I don't know, maybe because it's run by a bunch of progressives who are now ideologically bent and not in, in, in favor of what the truth is, but in fact, in favor of a particular sect uh, and what the messaging is. But New York, like California, a place I, I used to think the world of now I couldn't think less of, um, have become the leaders of this terrible, terrible thought process. And I thought this, this lady just hit it on the nose with her, with her message there. Um, cause seriously, what the fuck, what happened? It's tough, man. You think back to like 2001 and like how together, I mean, New York, especially, but like the whole country was after nine 11, mm -hmm. like we were fucking let's, we were all on the same team damn near. It didn't matter. And like now if something like that happened, like I wonder if it would still be the case or if there'd, there'd be a way to politicize that man, like this new movie we both saw Don't Look Up by Adam McKay. Like, I, I think they really tried to point this out in their movie. And, and I think their end goal really was to push the vaccine because most of those people are, are like pretty liberal anyway. But like, I think it's a fair point. And, and, and like what where they say, like, there's a, a comet coming to destroy the world. Look up. It's coming for us. And you could like, people could literally see it in the night sky. And I, I think they're kind of like comparing that. I'm not sure if it was to COVID or global warming or both. Like, I think they were kind of trying to make a, a dual point. I've seen Leo mm -hmm. say a bunch of stuff about global warming after the movie, but literally like you had people in the movie who they're basically painting as like the Republicans in today's world saying like, don't look up, don't look at the sky. It's not there. The asteroids fake. They're lying to you. And I think they're like trying to compare that to like COVID and, and killing people and all this other shit. And it's like, I think they did a really good job at like showing that divisiveness, like in a, in a, very dumbed down way of saying, don't look up at the sky to see a comet right, coming at you. Right, exactly. But like, I, th I think it's a fair point, honestly. And like, I, I'm not saying that like, I, I think what Joe Rogan on the whole is doing is, is good. Like he's, he's making us question it and he's using his platform, like for not just pushing a narrative that everyone's out there doing. But also like, I, I do think like if, let's say like if Trump had gotten reelected and, and he had been pushing this vaccine through and like, like if, if the shoes were flipped and like, we, we had the Republican side pushing these mandates, you know, I think we'd have the same problem just in a different sphere. Like, I think how political it's become has is just like dictating what's happening as, as opposed to like maybe looking at science objectively on both sides and like coming to a conclusion. Like, yes, this thing helps. This vaccine helps, but it doesn't cure covid. So it's like you shouldn't be mandated to take it no matter what party or side is pushing whatever agenda. It's just it's like hard to like find any real information these days, I feel like. Yeah, dude, um, I would I would hate to even fathom what that would look like, uh, because, you know, it, it's not too hard to remember back in 
you know, October, November last year or 2020 when um, we were in an election season and our current leaders of this country were saying that they would not take a quote unquote Trump vaccine, that they wouldn't trust it. Right. Right. And Trump was the one pushing the vaccine through. So it's like if, if Trump was still in, in office and he'd been the one and Republicans, conservatives this last two years have been forcing or like pushing a vaccine, you would see like the exact argument that all those people are making now, I think, flipped from from a liberal perspective. Which is just like, what are we, what are we really doing here? Like, why can't we just get to the, the root of this and like have a, an actual community conversation? I'm like, okay, obviously COVID's real. Obviously, people are dying. There's a vaccine. It's helpful, but it's not the one. It's not the thing that like we should be forcing people to take. So like, wh- what are our next steps forward to like do this as a team instead of like this fucking game we're playing? Yeah, correct. So uh, there's a couple things. Uh, ben Shapiro had this uh, amazing tweet where he he kind of summarize the things that we have known for a very long time that are now coming out in the mainstream media as fact, right? Like, like, because they're saying it now, this is going to be like the direction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and this has been just in the past, like couple weeks, uh, cloth masks are ineffective against the virus. We've known this since March of 2020 when, uh, well, whenever the, so it might've been summer of 2020 when the emails were leaked um, from Anthony Fauci and, and, and Francis Collins and NIH, where he said that masks are largely ineffective if they're not N95s, right? So that's something that CNN admitted in the past couple of weeks. Uh, the vaccinated can spread and get COVID. When the, when the vaccine came out, this is to your, your point you just made. Everybody was saying that it, was, it would stop transmission. Not true. The death rate is comparable to the flu. Schools are just got closed in, in Chicago. Many people are entering hospitals with COVID, not from COVID. That's directly from Anthony Fauci. We've known that for a long time. Natural immunity is a reason Omicron hasn't been as virulent. Anthony Fauci, meaning natural immunity is a reason that we are able to weather uh, Omicron because this particular virus is not as big of, as big of a threat as the previous versions. Um, the CDC just said we need to take into account societal needs, not just spread prevention. Hilarious. The asymptomatic should not be tested. The NFL has shown us that we should focus on hospitalizations, hospitalizations and deaths, not case rates, which is the reason that Chicago schools are closed right now because of the case rates. Good Lord. Children are not at risk and schools should remain open. This should be the only thing that we're talking about right now. The, the only thing I can't even imagine the, the damage, the long-term damage this is going to do to those children. It breaks my fucking heart to see these schools closed again, because it is at no fault of their own. They are at no risk at all. None. There is no risk to children. Closing schools were forcing mandates, vaccines on it. It just like, Oh my God, it boils my blood when kids are used as pawns like this. It fucking makes me so upset. Mm-hmm. COVID is predominantly an illness affecting the immunocompromised and elderly, and we should not shut down society. These are all things that we've known for a very long time. And it's hilarious now that these are things that are starting to come out for one reason or another. I don't care what, you know, you could politicize any reason, yeah. but they have been true for a very, very long time. And th- that's the, I think that's the point of, of this whole thing, of, of the reason that 
somebody like Joe Rogan gets all this because he doesn't care about one thing or another. All he cares about is what are you saying? Is it true? I'm sure, I mean, I mean, obviously if it, if it's juicy and it has a, a big punch to it, then, then all the better, right? Because that's exciting. That's, that's, that's stimulating. That's something that everybody wants to listen to. We want to know what this doctor who created the vaccine technology has to say about the vaccines that are going on now. And partic- if this guy was silenced from Twitter, oh yeah, that all you're doing is pouring gasoline on that fire. Absolutely. People won't hear what they have to say. I don't know, man. I feel like every time we do end up going down this path and getting all worked up because of the things that we see around us, they're mostly bullshit. But I think all you can do is continue to spread the truth. What we're doing now is counterproductive to what we're trying to do on both sides, whether it's force a vaccine, whether it's not get a vaccine until you have more information, whatever your stance is, like the world we're in now is is counterproductive to, to anything that either side wants, I think. Right. And you know, when did it, when did we stop being risk takers? When did we stop saying, I'm not going to test before I go to I don't know, whatever, you know, like, I don't know, it, like the, the, the atmosphere around it is, is shrouded in, in the word safety, but really all it is, is just us being really fucking soft and yeah. not taking the risk. Like when did we decide that it wasn't in our best interest to be risk takers, to go and reach for something that was previously out of our grasp, do we just think that we have it all, that we've done everything and, and now our only job is to provide everything to everybody uh, and, and, not, and, and not be the, the uh, trailblazers that we once were and, and, and to, you know, hey, there, the stuff that we don't know outnumbers the stuff we know a million to one. So we haven't figured it out. We still have a long ass way to go. And to, to, to just fuck with the children the way we are. I mean, I, 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 I don't know why this isn't like a national outrage that schools are continuing to be closed, that universities are charging full tuition and requiring that kids, I think it was Yale today, Yale or some Ivy League school said that you couldn't go and eat at a local restaurant. If you were part of, if you were going back to school this semester, you had to quarantine for seven days and test regularly and, you know, fucking whatever, bend your knee to whatever the demands that they had. All the school, all the Cal state schools are are now, uh, uh, mandating a booster, mandating a third shot. Listen, have you listened to that podcast yet? I'm never out and about in the car. So I never have time to like sit there and listen to a three hour podcast. One of the messages that he sends is that the more you put a vaccine into your body, there is credible evidence that the less likely you are to be, to, to be immune to, to, to things that it actually weakens your defenses, then bolsters sure. your defenses. Yeah. I, yeah. I could definitely see that because you're immune potentially from that one thing, not any variation that could come after that. And yeah, I definitely could see that. It's going to take people pissing off other people. It's going to take people making a stand that is going to ruffle feathers, that's going to cause you to be called names and and have insults hurled at you and people saying things bad about you and mean about your back because you're going to be going against what whatever the whatever the guidance is, right? Like fuck, you know, God forbid we go against the CDC guidance who just arbitrarily took uh, uh, the days that you should be out of work from 10 to five for no good reason at all. But yeah, let's, let's just blindly follow what they have to say because they know better about what you have, what you have going on than you do. It's going to take civil disobedience. You are going to need to tell people no. 
I will not. And then have the intestinal fortitude to deal with the consequences of that decision. Because if you just continue to go, oh, well, it's just that, well, it's just that. No, this is going to continue. People will continue to take advantage. We're better than this, man. We're so much better than this. I think it's time we start acting like we are. I agree. I wish we could. Actually, I don't wish we could keep talking about it because we talk about it too much. But <laughs> well, it's important, man. I mean, it, it, is, it, 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 is. It, it is truly the fight of our lifetime. You're seeing the forces being brought down against the people who are trying to bring truth to light. And it's happening every day. It's happening all of the time. He made a great point that this this doctor on the on the Jordan podcast I got to look up the guy's name so I can stop calling him the good doctor and give him a name his name is Dr Robert Malone and he was saying that these companies like the tech companies like your Googles and your Twitters and your Facebooks and your Metas and all these they are not tied to any one nation state they are their own sovereign thing meaning that they have more power than does a country yeah and as long as we continue to participate in whatever the rules that they set, then those are going to be our rules. Those are going to supersede whatever it is that we decide is is what our rules are, right? Constitutionally, if they can manipulate the First Amendment the way that they are, then that is what the First Amendment becomes. That is what free speech becomes. It doesn't matter that you can say whatever you want when you're shouting it out the sky. If you can't do it on a platform that has the majority of communication in the world, then that is what free speech is now. Well, yeah, the first step would be to get the, them the fuck out of politics, man. Don't let these companies, corporations donate to campaigns on both sides. It's, it's garbage, bro. It's, it's, it's destroyed our country. I agree. But what more power that can you have than, than the ability to, to silence dissenters? No, I, no, I get why they would do it, but it's destroying our country. It's, it's allowing them to continue to become more and more powerful and bigger than countries by manipulating the laws of countries because by using their influence. Right. But they they get their people in there and, and they can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. So eliminate corporate spending in elections and, and I think that is a step towards the right direction. I, obviously they can there will be ways to still do what they want to do. But I, th- I think that these companies operate thinking that they're operating neutrally. Mm-hmm. But to them, neutral is the way that they think, right? Whatever whatever it is that the, the company culture at say Twitter right? That's neutral. So that like a Google can go into China and bend their moral code and do the things that the Chinese Communist Party want them to do and then come back into America and say that they're, they're doing no harm. Yeah. And that, you know, their Google searches aren't, aren't skewed one way or another when we know that they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you use DuckDuckGo, but I have to because I, couldn't, I literally couldn't find the things that I wanted to look up on Google. My dad's a large fan of that website. It's awesome. He actually sent me a list of about 200 doctors that have been silenced or fired uh, due to like their views on COVID. And if you Google their names on Google, nothing comes up. But if you hop on DuckDuckGo, you can find all the information, everything they're saying. They've, They've literally been silenced by the biggest search engine, some of the biggest companies in the world. Insane. It's it's a very scary world we live in now, Frank. You know what's not scary though? Hmm is that right now you could go onto Instagram or Facebook and use those same platforms that we're shitting on right now to buy our newly released merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> Very excited to announce this. We've kind of been working on it for a while. Um, there's way more loopholes and bullshit to jump through than there should be. Um, but we did it. We figured it out. Uh, and yeah, right now, hop on our Instagram or Facebook. So you can, we got sweaters, we got t-shirts, coffee mugs, uh, beanies, all kinds of shit. 
really cool stuff. You can kind of, a lot of different options, kind of design your own thing there. Um, but we would love to see our friends, family, and fans, you know, out there supporting us, fucking with the merch, getting the news hour and our friendship out there to all the people. Be very appreciated. So go check it out. Yeah. Uh, and all sorts of color combinations too. So, uh, it's a pretty neat little platform that we were able to get on and uh, the the options are seemingly endless. So uh, go check it out and uh, throw on some Friendship News Hour gear. Yes. And in the meantime, if, where you would find this is uh, on Instagram and on Facebook at the Friendship News or at Friendship News Hour on Twitter at Friendship NH. And you can always send us an email at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. Any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, you know, someone that would want to come on and talk to us or you have some stuff that in 2022 you want to see us talk about. Uh, we would love any and all comment suggestions. So till next time, we'll see you then.